Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Hey there, thanks so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter, and it's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agriculture. This show is a proud part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network, so if ag podcasts and blogs and vlogs are your thing, check that out along with the monthly digital magazine called Ag Now. Head over to farmruralag.com and be sure to check all that good stuff out. We are still in this wonderful series called Sustainability at Scale, and I think I've mentioned before what I love about this series is that we can really go anywhere. You know, any aspect of agriculture should have some component of sustainability. Otherwise, what are we doing? We have to feed the world not just today, but tomorrow and in the future as well. And as I mentioned last week, my favorite part of doing the show just in general is when I can look at solutions to bigger problems that are being solved through agriculture. You know, that's why we exist, to solve problems of food, shelter, clothing, and other issues that seem to pop up with it. We have on the show today Olympia Yarger. Olympia is the founder and CEO of GoTerra, which is in Australia. And what GoTerra does is converts food waste and other waste streams, including manure, into uh, a product that actually is nutritious for feed. Um, So basically what she does is takes this waste stream, feeds it to maggots, for lack of a better term, black soldier fly larvae. And the black soldier fly larvae consume the waste, they grow, they can be harvested and actually made into a feed for animal feed. So I love to look at this as a way to take waste and turn it into almost like an oil seed or or a grain, something that is actually nutritious and consistent and healthy. Now, it's a, it's a startup. They're in their early stages. They're running trials to see which waste streams work well, which don't. But what I love about their model is they found a way to solve the hardest problem, because I've looked into this, you'll notice I kind of geek out on this topic here today. Um, the hardest part is the logistics of it, right? It's it's not so easy as leaving waste out and the, and the maggots take over. You have to create the right conditions to do this on a commercial scale and to do it consistently. And it really sounds like Olympia and her team are figuring it out. So enjoy this interview with Olympia Yarger, the founder and CEO of GoTerra. She starts off talking about, at a real basic level, what it is that they do. So GoTerra manages food waste using insects. Well, I started looking at insects as a livestock feed source predominantly in 2014 when I was looking for a sustainable livestock feed for a a business model I was working on. And being from a conventional sheep and cattle background, it was a little bit hard for me to get my brain around the idea of being a maggot farmer. But the proposition that the fly that we work with, that the larva of that fly can process food waste so efficiently and so rapidly, and then with the added benefit of having the insect to use potentially as livestock feed on the back end, was just super compelling. And so we've been sort of working on that proposition now for four years. Um, 
it's changed because we were focused really on the feed in the beginning, but that proposition isn't as compelling as the opportunity to manage waste. Um, and so, and when you manage waste over producing livestock feed, you sort of change how you view your livestock feed. So we don't, we know that some of our um, insects won't be suitable for livestock consumption. Um, we know that some of them will have really low protein. Um, and so now we treat our insects that come off the food waste management process more as a commodity than we do as our sort of focal product that we're producing. That's really interesting. And, and it's so it's the black soldier fly is is the name yep. of this this maggot, this larva. And you are, <laughs> yeah. you are you start off thinking, okay, what if we can grow this larva and feed it to livestock? And then you yep. realize that actually the feeding to livestock is nice, but the real part is what it's eating. And, and what is it that it's eating? What, where's this food waste coming from and what exactly is that? Because livestock feed's not our focus, our waste streams extend from effluent, so intensive farming effluent, hog farm, dairy and chicken farm all the way through to putrescent waste. So and anything and anything, everything in between. So uh, the stuff that gets scraped off your plate, waste out of an office building, um, things from restaurants, processing and packaging waste, pretty much anything um, that needs to be managed, we will take and process. So we've got no restrictions in Australia um, about using insects to manage these things. There is some um, limitation on what you can do with the final, with that insect once it's finished. But um, for us, it's about getting rid of the waste. So let, we'll let them eat anything they can get their hands on. <laughs> yeah, so, so you are a waste management company. You're taking um, manure, you're taking food waste, and you are getting rid of it by feeding it to these little these little black soldier That's fly right. larvae. Sounds that, glamorous, doesn't it? Well, it sounds smelly. Is it, <laughs> is it smelly? <laughs> it's smelly in a different way. I think anyone that's into agriculture or has been around agriculture wouldn't find it bad smelling yeah. um, because uh, that particular larva eats aerobically. The smell of them eating is strong and um, probably not something you'd want to sit in for a long period of time, but it's not that offensive maggot you know when something gets fly blown and it's a house fly or a bush fly or sort of your your, your what we consider or have been calling for centuries bad flies they feed anaerobically and so that smell is really offensive but because our guys aerate it smells more like rot yeah compost um than it does death <laughs> yeah no i think that, that's a really interesting point in, in and I think when people hear maggots and they hear food waste and they hear manure, you know, their mind goes there. But if you see a video, yeah. and actually we'll, we'll include a video on the show notes to this show oh, cool. of these little black yeah. soldier fly eating. It's incredible um, Yeah. because the, the whole – like you said, it's like compost. It's like accelerated composting. You know, you can watch yeah. compost being made in front of your very eyes. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's like watching kinetic sand that's alive. It's quite a visually stimulating um, thing watching them do their job because they're just rolling the substrate around and aerating it as they feed, and they're feeding really, really fast. So, What does a black soldier fly larva farm look like? <laughs> 
So it really depends. It's such a nascent – well, it's an emerging industry probably better than nascent. And so there's no standard way to farm insects yet. Um, everybody's got their own kind of bend on what things look like. For us, we are we kind of just look like a lot of shipping containers in a room. So we have – an incubator, which is a big cool room. We have a grow room, which is a shipping container. We have an aviary, which is a shipping container. And they're all inside another big shed. For other farms, it looks like a lot of, you know, bins sort of stacked up on top of each other that sort of stretch the length of a factory floor. But essentially, you're looking at a situation where lots of pans and or trays are stacked in some mechanism full of insects and they are sort of shoved in there as tightly as we can um, to make use of the floor space. So, yeah, lots of stacked bins generally. <laughs> and and I don't know if this would be units that you would, you would use, but how much, you know, food waste, for example, could, could one shipping container go through? Our system, we because we're so focused on waste, and when you consider the proposition of managing waste, like one of the main reasons we converted to a waste management model over an insect for farm feed model was because when you consider scaling insect for farm feed, um, you have you realise you've got to be really close to a lot of the same kind of waste. And that doesn't actually exist anymore, particularly in Australia. And so we designed a system that farms – insects automatically using a sort of a sensor-driven IoT system. And that process farms about 350 kilos per square metre, um, a little bit more. And so our shipping containers are running around five tonnes of food waste per day. Five tonnes per day. So, so yeah, per 20-foot shipping container. So we'll process five tonnes of food waste per shipping container today and so this is this gets to like my my big question about logistically how this works so somebody has to physically carry in five tons of food waste into a container oh every day? god no okay <laughs> all right this, this is getting to it like i, I want to understand this because that's i picture yeah. that I'm like oh my gosh that is first of all it's a ton of food waste to go through it's amazing that these little critters can do that but second of all yeah. like, how does that work like how do you get five tons into a container in a day yeah, yeah. So that was sort of the other part, right? Like how you know, you've got to remove the labour, mostly because who wants that job? Right. Like it's there's not necessarily a lot of people lining up to be the maggot farmer feeder person. Um, and secondly, there's things you're going to want to process and manage that will require an automation of feeding because if we're managing waste, if you imagine how waste gets put into a bin, it doesn't happen at once. It happens over the course of a day or over the course of a week. And so you've got to get some machine automation to manage that. So we have designed a system that deliver, that you know, uses the sensors to understand when the insects require the feed and then delivers the feed using an industrial mechanization is what we've done so we've chopped and changed a bunch of things together to make this do what it needs to do but take the waste from our external hopper and pump it into the insects to be fed so that nobody has to even go into the shipping container that would be a great day i think 
right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I bet you, I bet you would be, <laughs> you would be happy not to have to do that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, what you're feeding is essentially the larva. So, so it's it's the the young hatchlings of the black soldier fly, which is like a um, a large fly, although not a house fly. It's not one of those annoying, obnoxious house flies. Um, they're actually kind of, if I understand right, repelled by human activity. Uh, so, in order to get to that point where you have all of this larva, you probably got to breed a lot of flies, don't you? Yeah, yeah, that's the stressful part of the job. And definitely when you're first starting, it's when you go, when you're reading about it, you're like, oh, I'm going to be a black soldier fly farmer. This, how hard can this be? I've grown maggots accidentally in my bin. <laughs> oh, yeah, we <laughs> think we've all been a maggot farmer at some stage <laughs> when we've not taken the bin out on time or right. whatever. Right. And so you sort of go, oh, how hard? can this be? And then you sort of start the spiral of despair where you find yourself maybe three months later staring at an aviary of sort of the, the last five flies of the pupa that you've grown still not mating and you can't figure out why. And such is the life of an a insect farming entrepreneur. And so, yeah, we, we need to breed and collect a lot of eggs, breed a lot of flies, collect a lot of eggs and refine that system in a way that's commercially viable because it's one thing to get them to do the act and get viable eggs. It's another to manage consistency of production at any kind of scale, let alone to grow and, and to increase that number. And so, so um, that can be – that's been sort of one of the most daunting parts of building this biz, this company because we, we're learning as we're going. And so you're trying to forecast and trying to make um, predictions for where you'll be in the future. But in the back of your mind, probably being too honest here, you're always just a little bit scared that you're going to have – your life or the insect won't respond or you'll have another you'll encounter the next thing that you didn't know about or whatever and so um yeah it's kind of interesting um particularly when you sort of frame it against conventional animal farming which I, like i would never be afraid to farm sheep because i know exactly how they operate and i have really good understanding of what they need to to make their life cycle commercially viable so that's been kind of interesting to develop ways of getting insects to commercial viability um, in between the R&D required to learn how to make that happen. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I think a yeah. lot of people don't realize, you know, livestock are, are, are bred over, you know, however many hundreds or, you know, yeah. years to be hardy and to, and, and to withstand a lot of elements. Um, and even though insects seem to be everywhere, it's not so easy as like put them into a container and watch them multiply. Like they're really yeah. the conditions right. You know, I mean, everything from yep. heat uh, to humidity to even like vibrations to sunlight, like it's got to be perfect. And uh, I, I think it's amazing that you're able to do this at the scale you are. I think um, maybe some people listening who, who uh, don't have a good grasp on on. The issues with waste might think this is a lot of trouble to go through just to get rid of some waste. Can can you help yeah. everyone understand, you know, um, what the alternatives are? You know, managing food waste and effluent waste is sort of we, – we don't want to talk about waste. Like it's literally our – uh, it's not really something we spend a lot of time considering. Um, but as we've moved sort of in the last decade, we – we've sort of started to uh, globally have started to understand that 
we're running out of space to put waste of any kind. So we, you know, conventional landfill options just aren't sufficient to keep up with how much we're wasting. But then they're also inefficient in managing our waste. And food waste is one of the hardest to manage. It um, starts as one volume and it reduces to another volume. It creates methane, which if you're covering your landfill can create gas flare-ups. Like it's it's kind of – and it's heavy. So it's like all this water that you're trucking around in large volumes. And we waste a lot, like particularly in emerging uh, – in developed nation, nations waste incredible amounts of food. Australians waste one in every five bags of groceries that they buy. So um, it's gross however you cut it, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and it shows our privilege and the, uh, to live in nations that are doing well and have – um, sound agricultural um, ecosystems, but <clears throat> pardon me, um, I think we started to understand that we can't keep wasting that way. And so, you know, we've got this slew of new ways to manage waste. So um, bioreactors where you break down the waste using organisms and generate energy, methane gas capture where you create an environment where the um, waste creates methane and use that methane to power something. Um, there's composting and we're you know, developing – there's lots of new tech around composting to shorten the compost lifestyle or enhance the final product and different things like that. And a, and a bunch of other sort of bits and pieces in between. I think the reason why we feel that this is a solution to these problems is that this is the way that we've structured our business model and the in tech that we've developed creates an opportunity to manage waste on site. And if we can manage our waste close to or on site at the place of origin, we've reduced a lot of the pain points around managing waste, which is trucking and handling. And we've then decentralised waste management and created more regionally produced and solutions and our offtake is all made right where it needs to be. So I think these that for us is where the value is, is any of the other solutions that manage waste still require us to move waste to them. And I think that model doesn't endure into the future that we're facing. And so for me, it's about saying we have to actually disrupt all of that, not just the mechanism for how we manage the waste, but like, how do we get it? Where, how do we move it? Do, why are we even moving it? That's absurd. Let's try and, so yeah, so that's sort of for us why we think that this is sort of the value proposition for using insects is significantly more valuable than the ongoing trucking of waste to a management solution. Yeah, that's that's so. such a critical point because <clears throat> you, one might think, well, uh, if you're just going to be feeding these these larva to livestock why not just feed the food waste to livestock in the first place of course you can't do that with manure but uh but yeah. you, st- you you can't necessarily move a livestock operation to you know the middle of the city where all that food waste is being generated and so that's that's a great point and now just a quick word from our sustainability at scale series sponsor marone bio innovations hey ever heard of marone's bio with bite 
Marone Bio Innovations offers modern crop pest protection for the modern organic and conventional production systems. To make sure every grower using their products realize the best possible return on investment, Marone invests time and resources to thoroughly test and demonstrate the efficacy of those new state-of-the-art products. With serious trial data to back it up, you can see more and connect directly with Marone by visiting them at www.maronebio.com. That's M-A-R-R-O-N-E-B-I-O.com. Thank you so much to Marone Bio Innovations for sponsoring this Sustainability at Scale series. Uh, my wife and I yeah. just went on a cruise, and I'd never been on one. And there, there were was it good? It was great, uh, but there there were like 30, 3,600 guests on this cruise, and there's buffets oh, wow. everywhere, food everywhere. I mean, I think I'm pretty sure people just go on cruises to eat mainly. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I was thinking about this, like how much food waste is probably generated from this cruise, because especially with yeah. buffets, you know, you have to put it all out there, and you can never use all of it. Um, no, no. And I just got to think about, you know, they turn those cruise ships so fast. So theoretically, like GoTerra, could you find a warehouse near one of these ports where the cruise comes in and put the put your containers in that warehouse and just set up shop there? Is it that simple or does it take a lot more retrofitting to, to develop a facility? That's exactly how it goes, but I would go one step further, to be honest. And I'd not, not to be honest, I hadn't actually thought about this as an option, but they could be on the cruise ship. Putting our system on a cruise ship or at the bottom of a shopping mall, like that was the whole point. Like how can we enclose this system so that people don't have to touch it, people don't have to see it, they don't have to change their routine. Humans don't like change. So, you know, still put the waste into a bin-like place, but the mechanism for managing it is all happening here, wherever you are. And so – all that was required to keep our systems moving is to add the lava and remove the offtake. And so technically on a five to six day cruise, we could just load load it up and they could sail and add their food waste. And when they come back, we'll take our maggots back and people get off and never know that that's what was happening. So, yeah. Well, Carnival Cruise Lines, if you're listening here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'd like to uh, just – chat a little bit more about um, when you harvest them. So um, from from hatchlings to harvest, how, how long is it? So conventionally, it's around 15 to 19 days, and we've shortened that process down to 12 days, again, because we want to get the insects at their optimal. So when they start to turn into a fly, they slow their eating process, and so you're not getting as effective conversion of waste management there and so you want to sort of stop them feeding around the time that they want to stop feeding so that you continue to have good waste management um, so we harvest at 12 days or certain quantities are allowed to continue to feed and turn into a pupa to turn into a fly so that process takes about 17 days to turn into a pupa and then we take those pupa and um, put them back to the breeding facility um, and let them turn into flies and they continue to keep 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 everything going so Really interesting. And and yeah. if, if I'm remembering correctly about black soldier fly specifically, there's something about them that actually uh, will prevent uh, bacteria from growing on 
on the the material itself. Is that right? Yeah. So it it depends on what the bacteria is and and what's going on in the substrate. Actual, but they have because of how fast they eat and the way that they aerate their food. They, they prevent a lot of pathogens from forming in the waste because they never give them a chance to get established. Mm. Um, and then in with, with some pathogens and bacteria that have sort of taken hold within the substrate, if they are allowed to eat um, and can consume it um, effectively, they will either reduce or eliminate it because they've changed the environment of the substrate so much that the pathogen can't exist there anymore. So they have this really – nature is incredible. <laughs> like we just don't consider often enough how well these things are already working um, out in the world using organisms and animals. And so um, they're already doing the job that you'd want them to do just by the nature of how they manage things. It's pretty cool. That is really cool. And, and mm. so you've got, you've got your container, and, and when you start off, do you inoculate with, like, unhatched eggs, or do you already know they're hatched, and can you even see them at that point? Um, help us get an idea of that. Yeah, so like any baby, you need to give them a good start, and so the best and most successful way to inoculate waste is to wait until they're about five days old. So we take the eggs and we put them in the incubator and they hatch in the incubator and we feed them a more consistent feed substrate. So they increase their nutrition value. It's the same feed. So they all tend to survive and thrive. And we give them sort of the best five days that we can so that when we put them on the food waste, they are, you know, everybody's alive, everybody's doing well. And um, it gives them the best opportunity to to manage the waste effectively. So that's first five days, so from hatch to when we transfer them. And then we transfer them at what we call an neonate and put those into the food waste. And so at that stage, they're about probably not even four millimetres long and quite small. But when they first hatch, you can't see them. And in fact, when (laughs) I was actually doing pretty well when I first started and I would get these eggs and I'd set them up to hatch and then I'd keep looking in the substrate after two days because, you know, you read all the literature, they're going to hatch in two, two to three days. So after two to three days, I'd be looking in the substrate and nothing would be there and I'd throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> and then after about two months of doing this, I was needing more lava um, because I was running, you know, I, I wasn't able to close the loop and so I had not enough flies and so I went back to my compost bin to try and you know when I first dug them out of there I'd like one two three you know very small amounts and I lifted the lid off my compost bin and it was like oh my gosh like it was like yeah (laughs) because I'd been throwing them away (laughs) (laughs) so it's quite interesting because you when they first hatch you absolutely cannot see them Um, they're see-through and about the size as thickness of um, dental floss and less than a millimeter and so it's just um yeah it's really interesting how fast they grow it's amazing and, and so and then 12 yeah. days in it's time to harvest and, and what does harvest look like so harvest for us is still not very you know we are a startup and so you know some of well a lot of what we do is still a duct tape zip tied solution um so our automation for harvesting is still fairly rudimentary and it involves, um, you know those, have you ever seen the late night TV shows 
that um, where the people stand on that thing and it shakes and you're supposed to lose weight that way. Have you ever seen one of those? Oh, yeah. No. I think so. <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So we got, we found one of those at the local garbage dump recycle center. And so our project manager set it up with a set of sieves. And so we sift everything using this shaker, <laughs> shaker system, but it's quite slow because it's meant to shake the fat off people not to shake the maggots out of a out of frass and so it's this very laborious sort of half manual half sifting situation that is quite tedious but you know those things all sort of I think it's a sort of evolution of things so we sift the lava um, essentially and then we euthanize them using dry ice so we remove the oxygen from we put them all in a bag and then we remove the oxygen from the bag by putting some dry ice in there and then we uh, wash them and then dehydrate them so and you, you mentioned frass which is I, I would assume both the excretions from uh, from the, the larva themselves as well as the leftover food waste that maybe they didn't process for whatever reason yeah what do you do with that? So right now that goes to a place called the Canberra City Farm, which is a local community garden that's on about 15 acres, and they take it and compost it further. It technically isn't compost straight out of the maggot. We separate our large, uh, sort of any larger pieces that have not been processed, and we, we revert them back into our system, and then we take the contaminants off. So that's usually things like tea bag strings, uh, the bread bag ties, sort of those annoying small things that can slip through. And then the manure is taken down to the farm and they compost it a little bit longer and, and then use it on the garden. So, but eventually we'll, we'll uh, be selling that as a, as a product. So. Oh, like a garden, garden amendment type of thing? Yeah, yeah, it's like the MPK, the nitrogen, potassium, and um, phosphorus um, profile for that is like three, two, four. So it's quite, it's quite a good uh, product for viticulture, potting, that sort of thing. Nice. Okay. And who is who? Who's taken the the larva? I know you said your your goal isn't to market this as as animal feed, but. I imagine that's where it's going. Yeah, so a lot of what we're doing right now is trials. So I'm really interested because we have a waste focus, we have to understand our waste better and we have to understand what kinds of waste make what kinds of things. And so a lot of it's just getting sent for testing. We want to understand what heavy metals are coming through, what waste streams. We want to understand what protein we're getting from what waste streams. And so we're looking really carefully at whether or not there is consistency across sort of some of the more universal waste streams. So pig effluent, chicken effluent, some of the processing and packaging sludges that we're getting, like what do those look like when we process and pack, um, process them? So a lot of it's going to that. We've got some dog food company that takes some to make some biscuits and we have some free-range chicken farmers that will start taking quantities here in the next couple of months. They're protein deficient. They are biodynamic farms, organic farms that can't afford the grain to increase their protein enough, but a small inclusion of insect protein will keep them across the line and it'll be cheaper then. 
what they're paying for grain. So Great. those are our clients. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what about on the other side? So on the waste stream side, you know, obviously waste comes from everywhere, but for your program, what have you found to be the best fit? I know you haven't gone into the cruise market yet, but but where, where no. have you made inroads? So we take from a couple of different sources right now. So we have small government transfer station, which is basically waste that's collected from households. We've got a pilot in office buildings because I wanted to understand, yeah, that's a really hard one. How do you get all these little buckets of Sally from accounting's tea bag alone right. in a big bucket, you know, like the sort of inconsistencies in quantity there and then we take um we get some quite a bit of coffee from a lot of the fast food restaurants like mcdonald's and things like that so it's all a bit you know different the household waste is really hard because it tends to be highly contaminated so it'll have other things in it and it's usually your lowest form of waste because it you know people tend to throw away things that are gone off or uh, chewed down or whatever. So that tends to be fairly interesting to manage. The coffee is great, but it's also quite hard to manage because it doesn't have a good structure. So when it gets wet, it just sort of compacts down on top of itself. It can be quite hard to manage. And so you're sort of just trying to develop ways to homogenize these waste streams together to make them more um, more consumable but also easier to manage is sort of where we spend a lot of time working is, you know, we should be able to pour all this into a system and use fermentation to create one one feed rather than here's a bag of stuff <laughs> to feed to. Um, so, yeah, it's been – it's an interesting evolution in seeing how we manage those things. And have you come across of anything – obviously, you know, like you said – a bread bag ties and that's garbage yeah any food item that you just can't take we try to manage meat coming in mostly just for the stage that we're at but also because this particular larva is prefers to eat the waste as it would come off the plate so about 75 percent vegetable 25 percent meat and so we try we don't try we try not to take bulk meat waste um because that it's a bit hard for us to handle at this stage. It won't be moving forward. We're, we're looking at using different types of fly to manage meat waste um, so that, that flies that prefer to eat meat waste. Um, so um, that's a sort of future piece. But the hard stuff for them is the really cellular stuff. So we got a bunch of onion waste from the local markets and I was really excited because it looked like a lot um, but I was quite naive because all that skin and all that interesting sort of the papery part of an onion whew, they don't like that at all mm. and even with fermentation we couldn't get them to consume it and so then we had a lot of other waste on our hands so that's something we'd like to look at more anything that's too cellulose um, it's not for them mm -hmm. so and I know you're talking about you're running trials right now to figure out when you put a certain waste stream in, what comes out in terms of dietary ingredient in the larvae themselves. Because in this case, it literally is true. They, they kind of are what they eat, right? Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And they have some capacity, like you said, to manage pathogens, bacteria. So you sort of, you know, you're kind of okay there. You don't want to assume you are. You should still test. But, you know, heavy metals, we don't really understand them full extent of 
how much they transfer and what comes through, what they can metabolise, what they can't. And, yeah, definitely if you feed them low-grade wastes like dairy effluent, um, they find that pretty hard going and you'll usually end up with about you know 25 to 27% protein products. Whereas, you know, if you fed them bread waste and coffee, you'd end up with 45, 50%. Wow, the protein can range that much. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I know that they're also uh, a lot, they're high in fat, right? So I I know when I first started reading about this, I thought, oh, they're kind of like a little oil seed, uh, sort of. Yeah. Converting waste into oil seeds, because I've heard of people even looking at, could we process them like an oil seed and take out the the, the oil? Have, Have you looked into that? Yeah, so and that's a thing for when we grow up as well, where we're really interested in the potential for the oil, um, both as a feed, but also in other applications like plastics and cosmetics. There's a company in Bangkok that's currently looking at black soldier fly oil as a cosmetic. Um, it's really high in lauric acid, which anyone that deals in cosmetics knows is a highly sought-after thing for serums and face creams and things. So there's a lot of opportunity that's even that hasn't even been discovered. But to process it, we've done a few trials on extruding extruding the oil, so using like a an oil, an olive oil press, um, where you just basically squeeze all the juice out, and then the, you get a cake at the end. And then we've looked at rendering, which is the boiling of the fat off the meat products, and then you sort of skim the fat away. And rendering is a more complete process because it also heat treats the product, which makes it safer. Um, And so I think there's an ancestor for insects that we may not – yeah, that's sort of a tweak between the two um, because you get more oil out of the extrusion process from our experiments so far than you do from rendering. So it, it will just depend, I think. Well, this stuff is so interesting. And I, I focus just on black soldier fly larva because that's it's something that I've been so fascinated by. But you also <laughs> are working with crickets, I saw, right? So we are actually just, yeah, we, are, we have been and we've actually just sort of finishing that pilot off. Um, we, we had all three. So um, crickets, black soldier fly and mealworm. And then we sort of achieved this place where the crickets were becoming really challenging to manage because their infrastructure doesn't fit with the other two insects. Like the other two insects eat using trays and they are farmed sort of in trays the same way, sort of these other infrastructure requirements for crickets. And so when you start looking at managing that in a factory, it wasn't fitting. You know, they have to be put on a different trolley. They stack differently. They when you wash them, you need different space requirements. And it was just sort of, as we grew, it just wasn't fitting. And they are more challenging to fit into our mission of managing waste. Um, You can't feed crickets pretty much anything that's not, you know, nice and sort of clean. And then on top of that, their weight is so low that they're really only good for human consumption. So there's no livestock opportunity there because you require so many crickets to make even you know 100 kilos it's it's really full on so it just didn't fit um, for us but mealworms do and in a slightly different way because there's a lot of waste streams in agriculture particularly in the grain and grape industry where we have waste that has 
very low feed value. So like grape mark, which is the waste from vineyards, there's you know, lots of hulls and husks that are waste. But farmers tend to not manage them as well as they could because they're too expensive to manage you know, in a sophisticated way. And then they're they're not valuable enough to sort of invest in that infrastructure. So there's these waste streams lying around that fit a mealworm farming model because mealworms do consume dry agricultural waste products and do that efficiently. But because they have less infrastructure costs than black soldier fly, because we don't need an aviary, we don't need lighting, we just need a dark, warm room for them to live. In the mealworm farming model, you can actually pay for your inputs. So there's this really interesting idea that's starting to emerge as we work with mealworms more, where there's these low-value waste streams that like rice hulls, wheat hulls, grape mark. We've done a lot of work so far with grape mark that, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of tonnes of this product are wasted every year. Um, It has no feed value in livestock until you're sort of deep into a drought and everyone's looking for something. And so you can valorise that waste stream for farmers in a way that still makes insect the mealworm farming affordable, but also gives you an unrestricted access to a waste stream that nobody else wants. And that's kind of interesting, I think. So we're going to push forward with the mealworms and look at that. Well, this stuff is so fascinating. Olympia, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate this. I really hope you enjoyed that interview with Olympia Yarger of GoTerra. Make sure you check out their website, GoTerra, that's G-O-T-E-R-R-A.com. I thought that was just fascinating stuff and a great example about how agricultural innovation can be a solution to other problems, such as what do we do with all this waste, especially waste that's 80% water. It doesn't make any sense to pay a trucker to to truck water, right? Uh, I think it's just fascinating and innovative solution to a problem like that. Hope you enjoyed that. Certainly related to our series here today, Sustainability at Scale. I know I ran a little bit long here today, but if there's anything I didn't get a chance to ask Olympia about, please leave a message over at speakpipe.com forward slash future of ag so that I can include your message and Olympia's answer on a future episode of Follow Up Friday, our mini episodes we're going to start releasing on Fridays until you tell me to stop. (laughs) Thanks so much. We'll be back next week for more sustainability at scale. for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit futureofag.com, that's futureofagag.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.